the Tuesday Drive, where Mel Kuyper has a projection for the Panthers at number eight that I have a lot of issues with. We'll get to that in a bit. Last night, Walker Kessler announced he's going to Auburn rather than returning to play for the Tar Heels. And I don't think it's too early to sound the alarm in Chapel Hill, because to me, next year's team's going to look a whole lot like a slightly improved version of that team that went 14-19 and a couple of years ago. Actually, that would have been last calendar year, two seasons ago. You know what I'm talking about. Roy Williams' worst team. Tell me if this rings a bell. North Carolina is going to lean on an inefficient point guard who probably should be playing shooting guard. That takes way too many shots, plus Armando Baycott. Leaky Black, he's essentially the same player. R.J. Davis, he doesn't strike me as much of a game changer. I say slightly better than that team because of age. Armando is a couple years older. That does matter. And and the same for Leaky. And you also have Kerwin Walton, who I think is a far better shooter than B-Rob was. And I think that's a guy you should probably be running your offense through. Cole Anthony, though, is a better player than Caleb Love, I think, is going to be in Chapel Hill. This is the bigger reason I'm concerned, though. I don't see many paths to this roster improving significantly. If you're Hubert Davis, where do you go to improve the team? Really, there are only three buckets here. You've got the grad transfer bucket. You have high school recruiting. And you have the transfer portal. Those are the three places you can go to improve the roster. And North Carolina's already tapped into the transfer portal a bit, bringing in Virginia's Justin McCoy. He played two years for the Cavaliers, still has three years of eligibility remaining because last year didn't count, of course. But last year for the Hoos, he scored three and a half points per game. That doesn't seem like a great replacement for Garrison Brooks and Dayron Sharp. It doesn't seem like you're getting the same thing back that you lost in Walker Kessler. That person's not walking through the portal. You're not going to get a player that's as good as Walker. And if you're not going to get that through the portal, and I've got a news alert for you as well, you're not going to find that on the grad transfer route either. We learned that with the Justin Pierce and Christian Keeling experience. From that 1920 team. Where's the talent going to come from? Where? I don't see it. The recruiting class. Has two players in it. Dontre Styles and DeMarco Dunn. I think they can be good players. You hope they can exceed expectations. Like Kerwin did. But that's a lot to ask. A couple freshmen coming in. That aren't big guys. Neither player ranked in the top 50 in this recruiting class. See, that's the difference between Duke and North Carolina. Duke's losing a ton of players, but they're replenishing with a top three player in Banchero, a top seven player in A.J. Griffin, and a top 20 player in Trevor Keels. North Carolina's not bringing in anybody like that. So if you think I'm being an alarmist and I'm overreacting here, I'll open up the platform, Tar Heel fans. Where am I wrong here? This isn't message board talk. I'm asking, what is the best case scenario? What do we expect of this team? 336-777-1600 on Twitter at SportsUpTriad. Because the other thing I don't think people want to admit is that Hubert Davis is a wild card. Any head coach without head coaching experience is. You don't know what you're going to get out of Hubert, especially right out of the gate. History tells us it is incredibly hard to succeed Hall of Fame coaches without any drop-off. A lot of people took Roy Williams for granted. Maybe they won't if things don't go so great right out of the gate with Hubert. Like I'm expecting they probably will considering what this roster looks like. Hubert... It's going to be a tough task for him in the same way it was difficult for Mike Davis at Indiana 20 years ago. And even though Kevin Ollie won the title in 2014 following Jim Calhoun, those were with Calhoun's players, and he couldn't keep it up in recruiting. 
and Matt Doherty couldn't really do that either when Guthridge left. It's going to be tough. Next year will be a slightly improved version of the team that went 14-19. and Roy Williams, worst team he had as a head coach in Chapel Hill. Shifting things to the NFL draft. There aren't many selections the Panthers could make at number eight that I'd really crush the following day. Like if it's a corner or Micah Parsons, I could talk myself into it. If it's a quarterback, that means somebody fell to Carolina and the Panthers are just playing a numbers game at the most important position in sports. However, Mel Kuyper found the combination here that would make me want to fight in the street. If this were to happen in the draft, if Carolina were to take Alabama receiver Devontae Smith at 8, like Mel thinks is going to happen in mock draft 4.0, and take Devontae with Northwestern tackle Rashawn Slater and Justin Fields still on the board, I would walk out of the studio here we have on North Main Street in Kernersville. I'd walk across the street into the Mustard and Crutch Field parking lot. I would take off my polo shirt, Robert, and look for the first person to look at me the wrong way. And at that point, I'd get in a fistfight. Whoever it might be, if this happens, I'm going to end up on the news getting in a fistfight while Robert is playing my theme music as if it's WrestleMania from our patio that we have out here. I would not fight somebody in that Mustang and Crutchfield parking lot, though. Why is that? Uh, if they can eat that pimento cheese, if they can eat pimento cheese in general, they could probably beat you up in a fight. I strongly recommend the tiger butter they have over there as well. Really good fudge. But I'm getting beside the point. Drafting a wide receiver is the only wrong answer for the Panthers at number eight. Not only is wide receiver not a need for Carolina, which, if you've been listening to this show, I am against drafting for need when you're drafting in the top 10. Pick the best player available. But not only is wide receiver not a need, it is a strength. I think it's the Panthers' strongest position on the entire roster. You got DJ and Robbie, and I'll even count McCaffrey since he caught 100 balls in a season. If you're going to draft a pass catcher, that doesn't force me to go into the street and fist fight people that probably could beat me up in the busted and Crutchfield parking lot. It better be Kyle Pitts. It better be Pitts falling to number eight, which I've been texting with scouts that I know. They don't think he's even going to get to number six to the Dolphins. They think teams could trade up and draft Pitts at number four. Pitts, I'd have no issue if it was him even though some view him as a receiver. Tight end's a need. He can play the position. That fills a hole for you. I wouldn't hate that, and you could talk me into him being the best player available. In fact, I think there'd be very little doubt if he's there at number eight, he'd be the best player on the board. A big issue I have with Carolina taking a wide out, particularly in Kuyper's mock at number eight, I don't see a scenario where a wide receiver is the best player on the board. Jamar Chase... He's probably going to be gone by then. If it's not Chase, it'll be Devontae Smith. You're not going to be getting the top wide receiver. So not only are you going to decide to take a receiver, which might be your greatest strength on the roster, you're going to take a wide receiver that isn't even the first one off the board. I've got news for you. Atlanta, Cincinnati, Miami, and Detroit aren't going to all pass on receiver. There are situations that they might trade back behind Carolina at number eight, but there are too many needs out wide in terms of weapons. Those teams need to think that they're all going to pass. Miami, it seems dead set that they're going to go with the receiver if they're picking at six. Detroit, they lost Galladay. They lost Marvin Jones. It makes too much sense for them not to go with the receiver. And if that's the case, if one wide receiver's off the board by the time you get to eight. I'd be against Carolina picking one. Let's be honest about the position for a minute. The best value for drafting receivers is doing so later on in the draft. It's been that way for years. Let's just use last year as an example. 
Tons of wide receivers went off the board. Robert, when you looked at wide receivers taken last year, did you think there was any chance Henry Ruggs would be the first one? No, not at all. So there's Henry Ruggs, there's Jerry Judy, there's C.D. Lamb, who I loved. He was my favorite receiver in the draft. They're all taken in the top 20. The best wide receiver is taking picks later. I think he was the fifth wide receiver off the board and Justin Jefferson. And then in the second round, Chase Claypool. If it's not Jefferson, Chase Claypool was the best rookie wide receiver. This draft, given that I'm a Bolitnikoff voter, Robert, did you know that? I can tell you it's a very deep draft for wide receivers. So taking one in the top 10 just does not make a lot of sense to me. These are luxury items, wide receivers. You don't spend on a Maserati or on a Lamborghini when you're having difficulty making the house payments, for paying for your phone, for paying for your necessities, for paying for your mortgage. You don't worry about the luxury items. Carolina has too many needs. They have too many problems to pick a strength and to pick a wide receiver to pick a strength that just so happens to be a position where the greater value is to take them later on in the draft. That's my biggest issue I had with Mel Kuyper, but then again, we covered the Panthers really closely here. Robert, what was your biggest issue when you looked at the first round? You have my ESPN Plus login because I put it in our production studio uh, computer there. Did you check out what the Ravens did? Uh, I actually didn't check out what the Ravens did, but I I think it's Terrence Marshall Jr., but I could be wrong. How much would it surprise you if it was somebody different? Uh, It it wouldn't say. It depends who it is. Are you pulling it up right now? Watch Terrence Marshall Jr. be the best wide receiver in this draft. Well. It is Terrence Marshall Jr. Okay. Every single draft, he's there. Elijah Moore going in the top 25. The only thing with this year, I feel like there's not a guy like Terrence Marshall. There's not these 6'3", massive, tall targets. A lot of these guys are like 5'10", 5'9", really small. Like when we talk with Daniel Jeremiah, I brought up uh, Tylen Wallace. Like guys like that, Elijah Moore, they're just the smaller guys. Which is also why I couldn't justify picking a wide receiver in the top 10. You have so many guys of quality just... Pick one in the second and third round. There's not going to be a significant amount of drop-off there. It doesn't make much sense to me either trading up if you're Miami to number four to take Pitts when you already had the number three pick, traded back to 12, then traded up to number six, and now you're going to trade up again to four. Don't really understand the thinking on that, and you know it's a bad pick when Mel's trying to explain it and starts in the explanation by saying, you didn't see this one coming, did you? No, because... I think in the realm of possibilities, Mel. It doesn't make sense. That's a twist. In the news of the world, greatest entertainer, the hardest working man in show business. Ladies and gentlemen, the star of the show, Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. A few months ago, I remember in the context of Coach K, we had a conversation, Chris Patolo of ESPN and I, and we were talking about how it wouldn't surprise us if Coach K, with the way college sports was clearly going to change this summer, if he decided he didn't want to be a part of that and retired sooner rather than later. It turns out we were talking about the wrong Hall of Fame basketball coach here in the state of North Carolina, because that seems like a big part of the reason Roy Williams decided to retire just a few weeks ago. We haven't talked to you, Chris, since Roy decided to step away and Hubert Davis replace him. Now that the dust is settled, how surprised was the coaching community that Roy decided to step away? 
Yeah, I, I, I think I think surprised. You know, I, I don't think necessarily, um, you know, caught off hugely off guard by by that announcement. I think a lot of us assumed it was coming here. Um, you know, within the next few years, but uh, but I, I was surprised by the timing of the announcement. Um, but I think you know the point you just made, Josh. You know, I think it's you could extrapolate that to to John Swafford as well. I, I just think there's a, a demographic of coaches and administrators who are looking at where this thing is headed and, and are are essentially saying, you know what, I've done enough good work to this point in time. Let me let me leave this to a, a different era and a different age. Uh, so I, I you know I think Roy's decision not necessarily altogether uh, different from John Swafford's, and I'm sure we'll, we'll see over the next handful of years here some of these other older coaches, administrators, uh, you know, stepping away just because, as you know, I mean, it's, it's things are changing drastically and, and pretty quickly here. You used to be on Coach K's staff, so I would love your perspective on this. From the outside, I think Coach K's greatest attribute is his ability to adapt. When you look at his career, the way he's recruited, obviously the last 10 years, with a lot more one and dones than we thought Coach K would be recruiting when that cycle started in the mid 2000s uh, after the NBA's uh, decision not to allow guys to go straight out of high school. Coach K, the way he's able year in, year out to adopt a style to personnel versus a per, uh, have a uh, style that personnel has to adapt to when they arrive in Durham. When you look at Coach K's ability to adapt, What's the best example you can give to us on what that looked like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I mean, his ability to adapt is a big part of it. I, you know, and the, the best I saw him do that was with the U.S. team. You know, he was a completely, I remember Wojo, Chris Collins, and I kind of, uh, you know, every once in a while saying, can you, can you imagine how different he is with the U.S. players? And, and obviously, we know why. I mean, it, you, you can't, you've got to have a different tone with those guys. You've got to take a different tact and all of that. But, um, you know, that was, I think, in a, in a short period of time, uh, and, and I know he did it through three Olympic iterations, but through, in a short period of time, he was able to adapt himself to, to that group of players, which was, uh, was pretty remarkable. It was one of the big reasons it worked out. But, you know, I, I, I see a little bit differently. I mean, I certainly the ability to adapt is, is an element to him, but there are a lot of coaches who, who have been able to do that. The thing that he always did best to me, Josh, was process. You know, there was guys would, would be in that program for multiple years, and, and Coach K taught process more than anybody and did it as well as anybody. And I think one of the things that has been foregone with this, this route of, of getting mostly freshmen and turning rosters over is, it's become much more of a results-based enterprise as opposed to process, and I think you lose something by by going to a results-outcome-based uh, endeavor. And you know, look, there are others doing it that way, and it's it's even really, I think, a product now of the culture. But um, you look at a team like Baylor that won it this year, or or Virginia two years ago, or Villanova. Like these are process-based programs, and and Duke was always like that, and it just isn't. And and I think. You know, I think perhaps 2015, we have used it as the example for how the one-and-done thing can work. I actually have started to err on the side of saying it was more fool's gold, and maybe it, it, was, uh, it, was a, uh, it was an outlier in all of this. And so I, you know, that, that's why I think he always did process better than most because he was very good at relationships, and that's just, you know, it's something that has been lost over the last few years in, in his program. ESPN's Chris Spatola with us here. He's on Twitter at Chris underscore Spatola. You could take this in whatever direction you like, but with Walker Kessler, the entire story here of him deciding to transfer from the University of North Carolina and then Hubert Davis feeling like he had a shot to bring him back, then last night Walker deciding he's going to join Bruce Pearl's program at Auburn. What do you make of this full Walker Kessler story as it played out over the last month? I think that decision was made uh, probably a month into the season, Josh, is what I think on that. And I don't think there was any changing of Walker Kessler's mind. Um, and I don't know how much Walker Kessler, uh, you know, how, how much his opinion factored into that whole thing, uh, if, if I'm being candid. I mean, look, 
that that's an example of just in one year a player going through the process where he, he wasn't used early on. He, he wasn't as productive as perhaps he had wanted to be and, and the people, his parents and people around him had wanted him to be. And so perhaps the decision was, well, you know, just get through this year and then you can, you can leave at the end of the year. Um, but then he starts playing well. You know, then all of a sudden you see, oh, wow, okay, there's Walker Kessler. Like, that's the process. And, and, and there was a time where guys would arrive at that place in their sophomore year or junior year. But we've condensed these timetables now. We've compressed them so much that if it doesn't happen in the first month of a season, well, all of a sudden it's in your mind that I'm going to leave. Why in the world? And look, all due respect to, to Bruce Pearl and the job he's done in Auburn, and I realize they've been in a Final Four and, and all of that, but let's be honest here. I mean, you're, you're leaving the University of North Carolina to go play in Auburn, Alabama. You know, I just, I don't know. I don't know about that decision. And, and again, given the way that he was playing at the end of the year. Now, look, if his rationale is I committed to play for Roy Williams, although Hubert was on the staff, I committed to play for Roy Williams, and Roy Williams was. But let's not forget, he made that decision before Roy retired. So I, I just think that's the state we're in, Josh, where all of a sudden now the University of North Carolina is clamoring to keep a guy who played really, really well at the end of the year and would have had a fantastic sophomore season there but he's not there anymore and i i just i think that's the the place we're in i i just don't know if that's necessarily the best decision for the young man north carolina going to be without garrison brooks and dayron sharp as well this year uh there's not a lot of depth there up front and you got other guys in the portal too i'm looking at the class coming in you got a couple of kids who are uh, you know, top 100 players, but neither five stars, neither in the top 50 of the recruiting rankings. How concerned are you about this North Carolina roster and what's available to Hubert Davis to try and improve the roster in the transfer portal? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, look, if he wanted a change of style, uh, you know, next year may be the time to to apply it, uh, you know, based on what the roster looks like now. But, uh, you know, you know, Josh, I mean, the, the roster could look very different than where it looks here today, you, you and I talking. Um, it's, you are know, you going to get anything I, out of the portal that's better than Walker Kessler? I wouldn't think so, but but here's the other thing, Josh. I am not. I am by no means an expert on the portal. I stay as far away from the portal as I possibly can. I want nothing to do with the portal, so I have no idea. I mean, I generally have an idea of who's in the portal, but to answer your question, no. And here's the thing, Josh. Like, let's also make this point, okay? And and I think Baylor is a very good example of this, okay? And I've seen. Like, over the last three years, I've done probably 15 Baylor games. I did four of them this year. But Scott Drew, when he got Macy Oteague, who came from UNC Asheville, when he got Adam Flagler from Presbyterian, when he got Jonathan Chamwachachua from UNLV, and he got Davion Mitchell from Auburn, none of those guys were the best players in the portal at the time. And basically what Scott Drew did is he looked at, at you know best fit, you know, it's a very faith-based program. What guys are going to fit, you know, into our faith here? What what guys are going to come in and work? And then we have a belief as a staff that we're going to be able to, our player development is at a place where we can make those guys better. So, you know, I would caution folks in looking at the portal and saying, all right, he's the guy with the best stats, or this is the best guy, or this is the player that I think is the best. I think it comes down to fit, and I, and I think you look at what a guy did not necessarily stat-wise, but but what he did in his previous stop and how that fits in. So, I, I don't think it's an exact science. Um, but you know, look, I who's in there now? I I couldn't tell you and how how that would fit. But I I, I think uh, the one thing we do know is that the roster as it looks today is not going to be what it looks like by the fall. Chris, always appreciate the time, buddy. I'm sure we'll catch up sometime soon. No doubt, Josh. Be good, man. You got it. It's Chris Patola joining us from ESPN. I know that Chris might not want to look at the transfer portal and to stay far away from it. I understand the sentiment. But if you're Hubert Davis, where else are you going to be improving this roster? It, that's the big difference between North Carolina and Duke. Duke's having a ton of turnover, but they're replenishing through uh, recruiting. High school recruiting, bringing in 
Banchero, a top five player, and A.J. Griffin, six or seven, depending on where you look, and Keels, who's a top 20 player according to 24-7. That's how they're replenishing things. North Carolina, as of right now, no top 50 players in this next class. It's DeMarco Dunn and Dontrez Styles, who are both ranked outside the top 50. And when I look at the five-star players, they're all locked in on where they're going. So Hubert, he's going to have to figure out who to add in the transfer portal. My fear is, this is why I'm really concerned about North Carolina, you're not going to get anything better than what you had going into the portal if you're North Carolina, specifically Kessler. You're not going to get Walker Kessler or someone better than him returning to Chapel Hill. And since North Carolina is not going to get that, what will they have for 2022? We don't really do, or we haven't done, full first-round mocks around here, but we will project the top 10 picks of the draft for later this month, next on The Drive. Here comes the life of the party. The Drive. Corrupting the minds and the hearts of our children. With Josh Graham. Program for low expectations. On Sports Hub Triad. This show has already been derailed. We'll get back to college basketball and the NFL draft in about 15 minutes, I promise. But I'm getting a number of tweets and texts from people in regards to movies with twists and whether or not they're still worth watching if you know what the twist is. I haven't seen Sixth Sense because I know what happens. It's been spoiled for me. I don't know if it's still worth watching the movie. The Generate King writes in, Any good movie with a good twist is worth every second of the viewing. If no other reason, then, to catch all the subtle foreshadowing that hinted at the twist. Robert is now Googling a bunch of movies with twists, wondering where he's been the furthest off on movies. I immediately went to Gone Girl because I was thinking Ben Affleck did it. I'm like, Ben, you look guilty. And I've got baggage with you, Ben. I've watched a lot of movies that you did that are terrible since Goodwill Hunting. I'm looking at you, Pearl Harbor. You did this, Ben. I know you did this. You killed your wife, Ben. And that's not exactly what went down in that movie. Robert, what's the first one that came to mind for you? Uh, Parasite. The I can't remember the guy's last name. Bong John Who or John? You nailed it. Yeah, okay, cool. That guy, that directed the Parasite movie. I thought once the parents slowly integrated and the kids were, I was like, oh, they're just going to take their lives. Like, they're going to take over their lives and just kill them, but that is not what happened at all. Yeah, you. it's worth seeing the movie. Also, there's somebody that just makes an appearance, a new character in that movie <laughs> yeah. that I did not expect to meet at some point in that movie. It's a really good movie, and it was deserving of winning Best Picture. I actually have something in regards to movies I want to start unusual questions with, where you send us in your questions and tweet us at SportsUpTriant, 336-777-1600. Roy Williams prompted this game, so we go ahead and play it. Last week, guys, everybody made it out that I got mad at Josh and I left the press conference. That's not right. I thought it was an unusual question, and it's okay. It's time for Unusual Questions with Josh Graham. Okay. Why do sad movies win more Oscars than happy movies? You, have you seen any of the movies nominated this year, Robert? Honestly, n- not in the last few years. Like, ever since the year, whatever, A Shape of Water, or The Shape of Water, whatever it's called. That that's one, when Shape I of Water in 2018. Not really following the movies as much. Well, nominated this year, you have Judas and the Black Messiah, which is about the leader of the Black Panthers being betrayed and killed. You have The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is about the leader of the Black Panthers being killed again. And you also have a movie about homeless Francis McDormand. Not to be outdone, you have The Sound of Metal, which is about a drummer losing his hearing. Uh, I was actually excited to watch that. How about Minari, which might follow in the footsteps of Parasite and be a nominee to win Best Picture. It's about a broke immigrant family in, sub- in the middle of nowhere, country Arkansas. All these movies are sad. Like, you look at the winners of Best Picture. Here's what we got over the last decade. 
Parasite, I wouldn't describe as a really happy picture. Green Book? Don't get me started on Green Book. The Shape of Water? Moonlight over La La Land. That movie's a big bummer. Spotlight. I love Spotlight. Yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> I'm gonna say it's a bummer, man. And uh, there are many more examples of this. 12 Years a Slave, Argo, The King's Speech. Why can't we make a happy movie sometime over the last 10 years? Why can't we do this? I want to feel good when I go to the movies. This year especially, we have a terrible year and all these movies make me want to just uh, check out and bum out for a few days. I wonder that if in happy movies it lacks range and they feel like they don't get to see enough of the actors to feel like, oh, we see a full scope of emotions from them. But in sad movies, we get a little bit of happy. We get some sad. We get scared. We get all these emotions so we can judge these actors more thoroughly. But I, I'm with you. I, I would put over a happy movie over a sad movie in most Darren cases. Darren Vaught loves sad movies. He he seems like the person, though. Manchester he likes the by the music. Sea he likes... gets him really excited. Give me an unusual question. Do you know what your favorite smell is? Oh, wow. Because I think I found mine out. Gasoline. I... Vaseline? Gasoline. Oh, gasoline. Like when you have like when you have a full tank of gas. Oh, yeah. That feels great. Uh... I think my favorite smell is probably garlic. I don't know, like cooked garlic as it's cooking. It's a really good smell. Walked in last night and I was like, yeesh. This smells great in this house. Cookies smell really good when they're in the oven. Brownies actually are better than the cookie smell. You think so? That might be a hot take, but 336-777-1600. Which smell better, brownies or cookies? I've got a sports question here. Is that okay? Yeah, fire away. Can I ask a sports question? Yeah, why not? Could North Carolina Athletic Brass have more Southern names? The AD at North Carolina's <laughs> name is Bubba. Okay. The head football coach who we're having on tomorrow's name is Mac. The basketball name, or the basketball coach's name is Hubert, and he's succeeding a guy named Roy. Throw in a Jethro, and I think you've got the most southern names. Jethro is southern. Yeah, Jethro Bodine, like the. I think Beverly... of Jethro Tull, but oh, it's yeah. not a person. <laughs> I feel like Hubert could be like a nerdy name or like a rich, like hoity-toity name if you like made it that way. But Would it be the... more southern if we called him Hubie? Maybe. I don't know. That sounds more northeastern. If Maybe I'm being Hubert honest. did. I don't know. I think I, if, just... I think of uh, Hubie Brown. And I think of Hubie Halloween. <laughs> Hubie Halloween. I know what I'm watching tonight. Uh, would you rather shrink randomly or grow randomly? Like it could happen, at, like once every t- like okay, ten minutes ago I grew, but then also like it doesn't happen for a year. Like it's just completely random. Would you rather shrink randomly or grow randomly? I'd rather shrink randomly. See, but I feel like there's no max out here. So if you shrink randomly, are you just going to one day be like... is This This is like Benjamin Button with size, I'm assuming, whichever way you pick it. So like, if you pick to grow randomly, you might be too big at the How end of How would you life. answer the question? I think I would grow randomly because there's always novelty in a, in a massive human being. Like me being a large person. But if you're small, I feel like you would get lost in the shuffle. It'd be harder to work on you, like, medically. But if you grow, you could... If I just randomly grew my entire life, I could probably be in the NBA right now because I might be 14 feet. I don't know. It's random. I just came up with this question earlier today eating lunch. But that's what I would choose. I would choose to gr- choose to grow randomly. Here's a question I actually have an answer to. What is the best state in the United States... Mm. I think North Carolina would be up there. How high do you think they'd be ranked? Because I have here a poll done by YouGov where respondents were asked to choose the better of two states from a list of 50 states in Washington, D.C. in a series of head-to-head matchups. The figure shown here is the percentage of times each state won their matchup. I'd say North Carolina is in the top. Uh, above 50. You know what I mean? Like, they're above half. Okay. Yeah, they're over 50%, but where do you think they rank one out of 50? 
Uh, one out of 51. I would say in the top 20. Fifth. Fifth. I believe it, though. I what mean, do you think's ahead of North Carolina on this poll uh, as we close out unusual questions here? Probably the super popular ones, like maybe Florida, maybe California, maybe Texas. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So what is this based on? California is 12th, Florida is 6th. Like I said, that's just respondents were asked, which of these two states do you think are better? Where do these people live at? I don't know. <laughs> are they from all over the country? Let's put it this way. One of these is egregious that's ahead of North Carolina. Hawaii. Well, that's not egregious, but that's number one. That's what 69, I was asking 69% of the people say Hawaii is the best state. <laughs> okay. Yeah, go buy a jug of milk and tell me that. A junk will be like $8. But anyway, I digress. I guess some people were saying, where would you like to live? Okay, if that's, that's, a, if that's the question, it. then I would agree right. with that. Right. If Hawaii is number one, that's probably it. What do you think might else be ahead of North Carolina? I, I'm going to guess the ones that shouldn't be there. If we're making this big of a deal about it, I'm going to say like Arkansas no. or South Dakota. <laughs> Arkansas is 47th. South Dakota is 44th. What about okay, Alaska? I'm just going to tell you. Yeah, please do. Hawaii's number one. Colorado is number two. Okay. Get this. Number three is Virginia. Uh, Why? I, Why? Uh, Why? They got gambling now. Why? They legalized marijuana. They number have the four, beaches, they have the which leads to number four, uh, Nevada. Okay. I mean, gambling. You got Vegas. And North Carolina's number five. I'll fight anybody that says North Carolina isn't as good as Virginia. Okay? W- give me a city in Virginia that's better than either Winston-Salem, Greensboro, Raleigh, or uh, or Charlotte. I mean, I could think of a couple that are better than Greensboro, but... I wow. will because that upsets you, and I do that, so I will not trash Greensboro. What about Raleigh or Charlotte? Uh, I mean, I don't hate. I, I wouldn't say no. It would be hard for me, but I also don't spend a ton of time in Virginia. Sorry, Sarah Bradford. And that's been Unusual Question. Warning. The following program may be dangerous to your health. Please consult a physician before listening. Nancy Boy. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. As I talk to you, 531 here on a Tuesday afternoon, morale is incredibly high. For the first time in 2021, I wore shorts to work today, and I've got sandals on. The weather's tremendous outside. I'm looking at sunshiny skies here in the triad, and I get a a chance to talk to one of my favorite people here in the state of North Carolina. It's the voice of the Carolina Panthers, Mick Mixon, kind enough to join us and talk some ball here. Yesterday, we had a chance to catch up with Sam Darnold. First time we heard him as a Carolina Panther. Uh, He spoke for about a half hour yesterday. I know you were listening in. Is there a specific comment you found to be interesting from the former Jet, now Panther? thought he handled it with a lot of class, young man. And this is... uh... This is the difference between our ages. I have never and never would wear shorts or sandals to work. If you ever hear that I've done that, call 911 because <laughs> I will have suffered a traumatic brain injury. People laugh at me, with me, behind my back, whatever. I'm, I'm the only, I think, am I the only coat and tie guy still left in press boxes around the league? I, that may be the case. Oh, I wear, I wear coat and tie. I wear coat and tie when I am going to games and a lot of times when I'm in work. But today, when the show began, when the show started, I did not have sandals on. But then, since nobody else is in this studio and it's only you and me talking here, I've got sandals on. That sounds terrible, but I'll try not to, uh, to, to imagine that. I'll imagine you coat and tied up. But, Josh, it's great to hear from you. And I'm interested in your opinion, too, because I thought Sam Darnold, uh, I mean, to be, I kept having to remind myself that this athlete turns 24 in June. He's only 23 years old. And and I thought he, he there was a couple, of, particularly when the, when the New York media started, to, when it became their turn to ask questions, I mean, there was quicksand. There was a tripwire. There was a, there was a landmine. There was all kinds of verbal weaponry, and I thought he very artfully sidestepped all that. Didn't didn't burn any jets bridges, but 
but also I think demonstrated some honesty and some some sincerity. How did it all hit you? It's an uncomfortable spot for him to step into when you have Teddy Bridgewater still on the roster. You know, I think it's been pretty clear when Carolina, and I think Matt Rule even communicated this yesterday, they've given Teddy's representation an opportunity to seek out a trade, just like they did with Cam last year, except that process only played out over a week, and then Cam was no longer on the roster, and Coach Rule didn't have to talk to the media in the near term. So if you're Sam coming in, you can't fully embrace, hey, you're going to be the starting quarterback, you're going to be the guy when Teddy's still on the roster, and to add to the discomfort, this is not the first time this has happened to Sam. When he was drafted in 2018, it was a few months after Teddy was picked up by the Jets, and then right before the season started there, Todd Bowles tabbed Sam the starter and traded away Teddy to New Orleans. I know. I keep going back to uh, one of my favorite sports movies, uh, Bull Durham, when on the bus when it looked like Nuke Lelouch was getting ready to get called up to the show, Kevin Costner's character started coaching him up on these cliché lines. Memorize these. These will be your <laughs> friends. I'm just happy to be with the ball club. Uh, I'm going to try to help just help the team. Good Lord willing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, Josh, people like you and me, we scoff at that when we hear that regurgitated by athletes and, and coaches, but it's safe. It's, it's secure. It is it is uh, it's not going to get us, particularly in this social media, five-minute news cycles and all that. So, yeah, I thought Sam Darnold really did a nice job of kind of tiptoeing through a lot of this in a very skillful way. Let's hope he's as good in the pocket as he is in the press conference setting. Mick Mixon, voice of the Panthers, with us here on Sports Hub Triad. Now, you are the voice of the Panthers. You are not... Scott Fitterer, you are not an assistant GM, you're not a cap guy, you're not a coach. I'm asking your opinion, and your opinion's been pretty good on this the last few years in trying to figure out where things might be a fit for Carolina, especially when they're picking pretty high in the draft. What makes the most sense to you at number eight? (laughs) Well, uh, I think... I'm, I'm desirous of of a tight end, but I don't think I don't think it's going to happen in round. I don't think round one is the place. I think with you know, with Dan Arnold with coming in with Ian Thomas. I mean, I think I think the Panthers can 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 be good at tight end, but maybe later in the draft, if a tight end, a versatile pass catching tight end, were to to and I don't know about if Pitts will be there around at, at eight. I don't know, but. I really think what Scott Fitterer said makes a lot of sense, Josh, and, and in no particular order, but yet the order was interesting to me. Remember the other day when he said corner, mm-hmm. O-line, D-line? He said corner, O-line, D-line, but also said they're going to take the best player available. And I trust a lot of people. We had Daniel Jeremiah on last week that when you look at defensive players – there really aren't any that would be deemed a top 10 best player available for Carolina, you think? Hmm. Interesting. Well, you know, another edge pass rusher, uh, an offensive lineman who could slot in. But, I mean, in the NFC South, and I know it's changing with Matt Ryan maybe on the backside of his effectiveness curve, let's hope. For the greatly despised Atlanta Falcons, uh, of course we know about the Saints, but they'll no matter what. I mean, Sean Payton's the coach down there; they'll have somebody that can sling it. And then Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. You got to face those three teams twice each. I think being good in the back is paramount. Having a, a rugged, robust corner mm-hmm. who could uh, sister alongside of Dante Jackson, come up, support the run, target a hip maybe make a mark on teams. I think that makes some sense if if that player is there. Mick Mixon with us here on Sports Hub Triad. Who's your favorite prospect that you've had a chance to watch? I know you like college football and you follow these things a little bit. When you're looking at some of the video clips or maybe some college games you caught, is there a prospect that you really love? I liked, um, I mean, early on 
in, in the process, I kind of liked Zach Wilson a lot when it looked like he was going to be late first round, middle first round, but then he flamed on and, and other people started liking him. Mac Jones is intriguing because of uh, how Coach Rule was able to spend some time with him. What are you what what are you what are you rolling with? You got a pick or two? Yeah, I, I I still stick with the offensive line, but I'm thinking about what you're saying about Mac Jones and what I default to that I find to be so interesting with him. There's some critiquing if San Francisco were to take him at number three, for example. Why was it so acceptable for Joe Burrow to be the number one pick last year when really not many people knew anything about Joe or thought he was going to be this top-flight first-round prospect a year prior to it. But then when you see the numbers that Mac Jones put up at Alabama last year, they were better than the numbers that Burrow put up at LSU. Mac Jones was tremendous for Alabama. I think he only had two or three picks, 42, 45 touchdown passes, won the national title, and he did so without any cupcakes on the schedule. All SEC schedule, and then it's Notre Dame and Ohio State in the playoff, and he was flawless all year long. I don't know why some guys are seen to be desirable, but then others are not when they have very similar sample sizes. Good words. I, I do not like irresponsible stats. I like stats, but I don't like irresponsible stats. For example... Evaluating college quarterbacks, there's a tendency, a great tendency, to look at interceptions, touch the touchdown interception ratio. We all do that, right? It's like 40 times yeah. for skilled players. But you, for it to be fair, you have to run that through the filter of in what type offense is that trigger man operating. If, if, if we're going to throw bubble screens, if we're going to throw the run, the RPOs, the, the run tags, check it down, swinging out of the backfield. If we're going to go dink, dunk, nickel, dime, hunt, peck, then I guarantee you that your producer, Robert, who's been with you for so long, I told him on hold that y'all are about common law now. You guys have been <laughs> together for a long, long time. Yeah, I guarantee you he could go through a college season and only throw a pick or two. So what's that have to do with the Panthers? Sam Darnold, I thought it was kind of unfair the other day when Bill Polian, and Josh, whom I love and knows, I mean, a ton about football. If Bill Polian said that the ball was round and not a prolate spheroid, we'd really all have to take another look at it because that's how smart he is. But for him to say Sam Darnold has the interception gene, I thought that was an unfair tag to put on an athlete that, that, that's made his mark in getting the ball downfield, not just throwing sideways. Mick, when I ask you to remember Tar Heel All-ACC talent Hubert Davis, what comes to mind first? Really sweet um, release. A lot of straight lines in his jump shot. And kind of cock the ball back a little bit. You're too young to remember Keith Wilkes uh, for the Lakers. Oh, yeah. Great shooter, bank shot artist. I just love the I love the way Hubert Davis, the way his guide hand was positioned on the ball. I'm doing it right now. I'm sitting here pretending like I'm holding a basketball with a shooting hand and a guide hand, trying to imitate the way he held the ball. Do you have any Hubert stories? No, I don't. He was so quiet. He was so relentlessly soft spoken that when I interviewed him, I myself started to speak in a whisper because his voice was contagious it it jumped on me and and i had no pitch variation and i had no volume after a while i think it was kind of a maybe a defense mechanism for the young hubert davis to maybe to not get interviewed that much he was so quiet but very intelligent man of deep faith roy williams was solidly behind him and from what i hear you know put a lot of weight in jay billis and what he says billis said cutthroat competitor underrated as a competitor and that, to me, that resonated. What might somebody outside the Carolina family misunderstand about it and why it's so important to Carolina basketball alumni that the head coach position 
remain in the family? It's just the way, it's just company policy. Um, I, I don't know if there's a reason. I was talking about this with a friend of mine the other day. Hubert Davis should not be penalized because he's Hubert Davis, because he played at UNC, because he's on Roy Williams' staff, because he's that shark's tooth next in line, ready to snap into the into the mouth and, and hopefully be an apex predator as a head coach. It's not his fault that he's all that. Maybe he's the best candidate for the job and would have been even if he were coaching at Weber State. But Michigan, UNC, there have been other high-profile universities that have tried so hard at certain times during their history, I'm talking thirty the last 30, 40 years, mm-hmm. to keep it in-house. Alabama, the same thing, when Bear Bryant retired. It, 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 I think to do it right, you got to – it's got to be a national search. You know, you got to at least have the athletic director, the chancellor, uh, the current head coach, you at least have to have that envelope with three or four names on it and not all of them necessarily in the frat. And then pick the best one from there. It's well said. Mick Mixon joining us here. The next time we chat, I will be dressed to the nines with tie-on, with the with the suit jacket and everything going, and just for you, I might even wear a pair of tennis shoes. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's starter cap about, too. Starter cap. I forgot the starter cap. I'll wear a starter cap as well. It's taken me over fifty years, but London, New York, Paris, people. There's the fashion world is starting to catch on to what I've known since I was a little Mickey Mixon in Ms. McLam's first grade at Estes Hills Elementary in Chapel Hill. <laughs> uh, it wasn't Forrest Orion Mixon III at that time. If I was in trouble, my mom would roll that out, yes. I got you. Mick, you're the absolute best, uh, and it's good to hear from you. I'm sure we'll catch up sometime soon. How can I be the best when you're the best? Thanks, Josh. There you go. That's Mick.